Hey friends, welcome to the Cultivate Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Robinson, and I want to invite you to come alongside me as we hear stories, gain wisdom, and even some helpful tools from some of my friends. These are people who have experienced challenging seasons of life that have tested their faith. We can all learn from those who've dug those deep trenches and have found their way to the other side of hopelessness. So let's start digging together and cultivate hope. Welcome back to the Cultivate Hope podcast, where today we are hitting church hurt head on. I am well aware that our various experiences with church hurt are nuanced. However, I think that there are some common through lines that can lead us into a place of restoration. Is what we're going to say here today a one-size-fits-all? Probably not, but are there some baseline truths that we can use to build a foundation on to move forward? I think so. While I have experienced my own level of church hurt and have walked the road of healing for the past two years or so, I also want to bring in a different perspective. So today, I have my friend, Sydney Derling, joining me to discuss how being on staff at various churches, as well as being a member of a church body, has given her a unique perspective into this very topic. She is a pastor's wife, a mom to two young boys, and a DIY extraordinaire. You can follow their house flips and projects on Instagram at at DerlingMade. While her family has walked through their own experience with church hurt, she will be sharing with us what they have learned, are learning, as well as some tools that we can use to restore, rebuild, and hope again in what it truly means to be in God's family. I'm going to give you fair warning that this episode is extensive. It's two hours long. However, it is so full of freedom that I just couldn't shorten it any further. So feel free to pace yourself, lay down your armor, try to release the tension that this title may or may not start up inside of you, and help me welcome my good friend, Sydney Derling. Wow. I that was amazing. Shut I feel up. so I feel so like if you would have told me, if you would have told high school Sydney that I would be on a podcast with Sarah Eslick, not Robinson, Sarah Eslick. Maiden name. I I would not have believed you. Which is a whole nother conversation, high school. I have a heart for high schoolers too. Yeah. It's such an awkward time. But Gosh. you know, it forms us. It's a part it's of needed. our story. We gotta do it. We gotta go through it. Yep. We do. We do. So I want to get into our stories and everything. But before we do, we ask the same question to everybody on the podcast. What, Sydney, is your definition of hope? Great question. I actually thought about this uh, back when I was listening to your episode with Alicia. And um, it got me thinking what I thought hope was. And I I literally paused the, the podcast in the car and I was talking out loud with my kids in the back. And I was like, hope is it's, it's courageous and it's a choice, right? So yeah, you can feel hopeful about things and that's great. I think that's from, from God, but it's a choice to believe in someone greater who knows what's around the corner and can Mm. help you see things that you can't see. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really brave to do that because you're kind of like jumping and yeah. you don't know what you're going to land on, but you're trusting that God's going to put something there. So, yeah. yeah, I love that you said it's courageous because it absolutely is. Because hope is, it's like, to me, it's like this like forward motion thing. It's looking forward 
It's never past. It's always forward to something we cannot see or touch. It's like untangible. Yeah. So when you say it's courageous, I'd have to agree that that is just like faith. Hope and faith are almost synonymous in a way to me. Yeah. Because it's so courageous to put all of your expectation, all of your forward motion into something or someone that you can't see. Absolutely. I so, totally agree. So good. Yeah. Um, so I want to get into our stories a little bit and just kind of discuss church hurt in general for a minute. Church hurt is something that is super, super common, super sensitive. It is no respecter of denominations at all. (laughs) So whatever denomination you come from that you're listening from, this is not specific to any denomination of faith, of Christianity. This is across the board. It's something we have to deal with because we're all broken. We come from a broken world. We're living in a broken world. Um, We have an enemy that is out to literally break us. Hates us. We're... When we get in these communities of people, these families, things are going to break because because people yes. break. We make mistakes. Yep. If you believe that you're a mistakeless person, you are misguided. Oops. Yep. <laughs> you, <laughs> Scary. You may have a pride problem. You might have. You might need to look in a mirror because everybody makes mistakes. No one's got it perfect. But there's always forgiveness, mercy. And ways of handling it that we need to talk about, I feel like, because both Sydney and I have been recipients of church hurt. I, I would say I've probably divvied out some church hurt before. Same. Um, even going back to high school, I was you knew me in high school. I would say in high school, I was really sold out for Jesus. <laughs> and almost to the point where I was like a bit of a Bible thumper <laughs> and not in a good way. You know, and I, I know that because I had people say that. <laughs> I literally <laughs> know that. Friends. Oh, you know what? They are. They're such good friends. So good. You gotta love that. As Th- an I age. do. You gotta love I that. do. I love the bluntness, and I'd much rather know than right. not know. Yeah. But I just was so passionate about Jesus, and I I had a really young experiential relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Lord that was so real to me mm. that I was like, well, I don't understand what y'all are doing, like. <laughs> Do you not you. know what's available? Do you not know that there's this whole other part of life that's like kind of the point, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so in high school, I was all salty about it because I didn't get invited to the parties or any of that stuff. And I was like, but you also don't think I'm fun. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm so fun. And I made up for it in college. So <laughs> first year made up Same. for it all at once. Yep. There you go. But I will say, I will say I'm thankful that the Lord revealed himself to me really young because it did save me from a lot of things. But I'm sure that I divvied out some hurt because in my belief, my strong belief, in my immature faith, I am sure that I hurt people. I'm sure that I judged people, that I called people out for things that they weren't ready to be called out on, that I didn't earn a place to call them out on, that I didn't do it in love. And I hadn't experienced that from the other side yet until I got older and got involved in church. What was your experience like? Can I just say, first of all, it's a very healthy place to be that you can admit that you've divvied out this thing that we're talking about here. Because the frame that I always would see this t- this topic in is, this happened to me and, and, and the victim 
the victim right. mentality, right? Like everybody out here has a story yeah. and we all have such varying levels of like experiences. And so all I can do is sit here and share mine and share, you know, my world and, and, and pray that God speaks to those that can relate and, and yours and all the things. Right. Yeah. So I don't sit here pretending to think that I, I relate to some of these awful traumatic experiences. Cause that isn't my story. But I think it's an extremely healthy place to be where you can say, yeah, I think I probably contributed this issue that we're dealing with and, yeah. and, 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 and own that. But for me, I definitely unexpectedly like George and I, my husband and I, we freshly married, moved to Orlando. That's uh, where he grew up. We, he got hired at the church that he grew up in, was in their youth group, all the things. Mm-hmm. So very, very cool young church. We basically started with them. So he, yes, he grew up in that church, but they were then a plant. And then he basically got hired at the plant type thing. And we, I was like, this is the healthiest church I've ever been a part of. And it was, and it was awesome. And, and we thrived and we were, like you said, we were radically excited for Jesus, like screaming it from the rooftops, all the things. And, uh, we were there for eight years. Wow. So, over the course of time, I mean, a lot of things changed. Like there was yeah. transition after transition and, and you just start to walk things out and it's mm-hmm. my husband's first job. So we're like, we don't know what to compare this to. That's a hard thing when you're young yeah. is not really knowing what, what you should ask for or what, what's, what's normal, especially mm-hmm. in the church world, because everything's all lovey dovey and Jesus yeah. and all the things. And so it was definitely, um, hard when we got to, I would say like year five or six, where we started to experience things that we were like, huh, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, but I don't want to question my pastor because he's a pastor and he, he, he knows what's going on. Like he, which is huge mistake. Red flag. Yeah. Number one, like you never you put your pastor in the same place as the Holy spirit yes. or the same place as God. Yeah. Because, and that's where you really start getting yourself into trouble because they're not, they're not always going to, going to coincide. And it doesn't mean again, that these people are bad people. It just means that they're broken too, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I would be so bold as to say, if you've never been hurt by the church, Mm -hmm. you're probably not as plugged in as you should be because I go into church now thinking, you know, people are probably going to make me mad here. I'm probably going to be frustrated with some things. And, but that isn't a good reason to leave. I think a good reason to go to a church is because God has placed you there because you feel like that's where he's telling you to go. That's probably yeah. the only good reason to go or leave a church is because of the Holy spirit say so I would say again, being sensitive to everybody's got a different perspective as it pertains to these stories and, and your difficult experiences. Like it, this is hard to talk about because other people are out there listening and they could know, you know, right. But we were just more specifically, definitely frustrated with the way that, Things were help. Things were handled financially as yeah. it, as like as it pertained to us. We felt mm-hmm. that we were undervalued. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm coming from my husband was on staff. I wasn't on staff. But I'm technically on staff, basically, right? Because, you know, right. by proxy. But um, so I have a little bit of kind of both views and yeah. experiences. But at the same time, like I'm still receiving all of this like pain that my husband's walking through. Like I'm feeling the same thing because right. I'm right there with him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, uh, you're an eight, right? Yes, I am. (laughs) I I really resonate with, I'm a three. Mm -hmm. I actually recently took the Enneagram again and I got an eight because I I feel like being around eights 
has helped bring out whatever inner eight I've got going on. But yeah. I definitely resonate more with a three. You want to know what's funny? What? My husband's a three. Yeah. And he has a strong eight in, in him. him. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I think we all need a little eight. Yes, <laughs> we do. We do. I think everybody has a little bit of an eight in them. Yeah. And you know, with the Enneagram, we hold it with an open hand. Yes, it's not my identity. You. I'm never going to walk in that as my identity, Absolutely. but I most closely relate right. with that. And it's easier for me to explain Absolutely. to someone like my motivations and why I respond certain ways and how, you know, I'm going to approach things and how much grace I need. <laughs> it's it's like me yeah. coming out the gate saying, Hey, by the way, um, I need a lot of grace. <laughs> Just from the get go, just that. know that about yes. me. Yes, hearing people's enneagram, agreed. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not my Bible, whatever. But yeah. it, it really helps me understand those people and how to relate to them and how they yeah. receive and all the things you just said. Yeah. So being that you're an eight, you understand that leadership aspect of an eight and yes. how they can be so direct and they know they know where they're going mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful thing for a leader to have that because it's so easy to follow. Yeah. Right. So when we're at a church and we're plugged in, we need to be in alignment, which our, our Florida church, you know, that was a big thing Like we need to be in alignment. And I was all on board with that, but there was things that I could not get on board with anymore. You need to understand. I have such a big place in my heart for our lead pastors there and the staff there and so many other families, but we really struggled with where we were going. Where, where, where are we going? What is the vision? And all the way down to each person on staff and who is really leading us, you know what I mean? And so I say all that because, um, even when we're, we have the best intentions, Mm -hmm. we still are going to hurt people along the way. And that's kind of what we experienced. And it got to the point where just to help, help you guys understand where we were at. Like my husband was 25 pounds less than what he is now. And he's already a thin guy. He was so sick Mm. and withdrawn from our family. We had a new baby and he was like, I can't even, I can't even be here with you guys, like Mm. not enjoying life. So when you start seeing stuff like that going on, like maybe you can find healing within it. And that church did try to, they tried to help us get, get get him some healing, but it was not going to be a, a quick fix. And so I say all that to say like, everybody's story is so nuanced There's so many complexities, but the reality of the hurt was there. Yeah. And when you are experiencing that, you have to get out. And we did, we had to get out. It was not perfectly received and that's okay. It was, it was really hard to leave. It was, it was so God and it needed Mm. to happen. And that's kind of where we're at. That was our story. Wow. I get that. And I love what you said earlier. I want to kind of dig into, you said we put pastors and people in leadership on pedestals and I firmly believe the word pedestal is just a modern day iteration of idolatry. Mm. And that's That's essentially what we're doing. We're making idols of people because we can't see the God that we serve. And so the next closest person that we see that we feel like in our mind is closest to God. Yes. We start to make a God out of them. And then when they do something wrong, we get destroyed because what? Like, you're, you're a representation of my God, of God. And you just, just, you just disappointed me. So God just disappointed me. We start to associate our disappointment with people, with our disappointment in a good God. Mm-hmm. But I think that's important to point out is that pedestals get us in a lot of trouble. I don't know if it was on when you had Blake 
on a previous podcast or if it was mm-hmm. one of her. I don't know. But she, yeah. she had quoted somebody else quoting that something along the lines of when you put somebody on a pedestal, all they can go is left or right yes. and then they, they fall off. Yep. And I never personally struggled with looking at my pastors as like, oh, you failed me, so God's going to fail me. I never yeah. put those, you know, but I did look at them and think, if you can fall like this, then you're like, I did put them on a pedestal. I'm like, you're bad. Like, you, you don't yeah. know what, you know, you don't know anything. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it gets Aren't so you supposed to read your Bible every day and that's all you do? Yeah. Aren't you paid? Isn't that you're supposed to be like every second of your life because you're being paid to like be dedicated to the Lord yeah. and the service of his church and like that's your whole life? Yeah. And that's such a wrong outlook yeah. because ministry we're all called to ministry. Yeah. We're all called to the holy priesthood. We're yeah. all called to live a life of service. And the call to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, driving out demons, healing the sick, all of that yeah. was a call to action for every single one of us. Right. And he's coming back for a spotless bride. And that's part of our responsibility. So one of the things that I thought of when you were talking and one of the things that I've had to, because since then, George has been in another church job, but he ultimately is not currently in ministry. Sure. We're taking a break at least. I he think that's is, healthy. It's it's so that's good That's so us. healthy. He cannot wait to get back into ministry. Good. <laughs> at the right place. Right? Yes. But yeah. I say that because we had to walk out this identity crisis almost where yeah. even though we believed, we already believed what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. we really had to put words to it yeah. and really decide if we really believed in this or not. Yeah. But what I've been telling people is you can work at a church and have no ministry yep. and you can work at a gas station and have a flourishing ministry. Yeah. So wherever you work, whatever you do, whether you're a stay at home mom or you're the CEO of Apple, if you call yourself a Christian, you have a ministry and you better, you better be looking for how God's supposed to use you in that place. Yep. So you're not off the hook because you don't have pastor in front of your name. Yep. And so huge identity thing is you're, you're not your job. Your yeah. title has nothing to do with what you do. What you do determines how good you are at making disciples. All the things that you just said, the great commission. Yes. Stop putting other people on these pedestals, no matter what position they're in and thinking if they do one thing wrong, they're not doing any of it. Right. Right. And I just thought of this, um, you know, Maverick city. Yes. They just had something happen. Falling with, out. With yeah. Dante Bay. That yeah. guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, personally really liked the way that it was handled. Oh, because, I loved it because they showed publicly yep. mutual respect and love for one another. It was they, honor. It was honor. They walked it out with him, this, this process, Yeah. but they still had to make a decision to protect their flock, to protect their listeners, so to speak. Yep. And so that they felt they had to do, and maybe he needs to walk through whatever, but, and then he owned it on his end. Yep. And it was like, guys, so healthy. We don't need to do cancel culture. We can still listen to Dante boat. Like it doesn't matter. Like it's okay. And that's just, that goes for everything. Like you can't go to church on Sunday and take everything your, your pastor says as law, right? He is doing his best to receive from the Holy spirit, to interpret the word. So we are all accountable, right? It's the same old pharisaical ideology where the the woman who committed adultery and had an affair and she came out and the Pharisees wanted to throw stones yeah. at her because she made a mistake. And right. Jesus threw a line and said, let you without sin throw the first stone. Right. 
well, why were they, why did they have sin when they were Pharisees? They had sin because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Would we accept Jesus? The cross is a finished work. Mm-hmm. It was enough. It, it finished the job. Jesus took it all. When he said it is finished, that means it is finished. The work that needed to be done to bridge the gap for the forgiveness of sins is finished. Yeah. So that means we are no longer slaves to sin. So if we're no longer slaves to sin, and we look at these pastors, we're essentially on a witch hunt like these Pharisees were to look at a pastor say, oh, I just caught you in adultery, just like we did that woman. I just caught you in adultery. I just caught you in sin. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that's a sinful act, but that man, that woman is free from sin because they're in Christ Jesus. And if you judge them for being a sinner, then you're calling them what they're not. And you're saying, essentially, the cross did not do a finished work right, in you. Right. You're diminishing the cross at that point. You're mm-hmm. saying, I don't actually believe that the cross is a finished work. Yeah. And I believe we're all still sinners. Yeah. I'm sorry. We are not all still sinners. You cannot be married to your sin nature and have the Holy Spirit live in you. Mm. That's something my good friend, and I would call her a mentor, Mary, spoke with me about this morning as we were talking about how can we say that we are a slave to sin or that we have a sin nature and have the Holy Spirit live in us. The Holy Spirit can't live in a sin environment. Yeah, you're right. It can't. Like, he's a perfect God. God is so other. He cannot be around sin. That's why he had to, that's why Jesus had to die Mm -hmm. to bridge that gap. So if we're saying that we're a slave to sin or somebody else is a slave to sin and they fell from grace, we are completely undermining the cross. Mm. That's something that I've been wrestling with because you know you know my story, but Jake and I and our family stepped away from our church about two, almost two and a half years ago now. We led worship. We were super involved. And I agree with you on the concept where you said sometimes you may not experience church hurt unless you get really involved or unless you get your hands dirty. It's like looking at a beautiful piece of china on someone's mantle, like from 20 feet away. It looks perfect. It's gorgeous. (laughs) You get close, you might see a little bit of like imperfection maybe. You get really close, like up close and personal, you might see a crack. You might see a break. You might see a missed brush stroke. It's not until you get in the mess that you start to see what's underneath because, and that's the same with marriage. It's the same with your family. It's the same with best friends. It's the same with anyone that you get close with is when you get close with someone, you're going to see their crap, but are you going to hold them to their crap? Right. And call them by that? Yeah. And call them crap? Yeah. Just because (laughs) they did something crappy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. One of my biggest pet peeves is that we start to refer to the church, and this is a cultural thing right now, as community. This is our community. No, this is our family. If the same blood of Jesus Christ flows in your veins that flows in my veins, and we're heirs to the kingdom along with Jesus, we're family. 
And we're not treating each other as family. We're treating each other as community where I can just move to the next community if I want. But guess what? When we get to heaven and we're all in the throne room together worshiping Jesus, I'm going to be standing next to somebody that I may or may not want to be in community with. But guess what? They're in my family. And am I going to be distracted in the throne room and be calling them out in front of Jesus? No. That's good. I know that is very long-winded, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot because... I wonder where is the line between accountability and judgment, you know, especially with our leaders and even say even people we're in family with, we're in the family of God with, like, where is that line? Yeah. It's funny because you, you just talking about family. I felt the same way as I, as I was talking and as you were talking, like, that's why I feel like you can't experience quote unquote church or the local church yes. without getting hurt or hurting others. Because what is a family? My husband and I fight every week. It should be messy, yeah. but that doesn't mean like you just said, that doesn't mean you walk away. It right. doesn't mean you give up what Sarah's going to explain. Cause I really think you should explain it, but okay. it's something that I actually am going to go home and walk this exercise out with my husband because we should forever be doing this as far as our freedom walk goes. And, and as far as our looking at our current leadership in the church and all of that, like how to really define this, this accountability versus judgment. You can only check yourself with right. how, with your, your true intentions of your heart and how deep you're willing to go. So yeah, take it away. <laughs> okay. Um, Sydney's the new host. I'm sorry. No, just kidding. No, I love it. I love it. I appreciate it so much. That was, that's, it's such an honor. This is something I came up with today. I was thinking about this question and I was talking about it with my friend, Mary, and um, she's actually the pastor's wife of the church that I had gone to. <laughs> and I love her to death. You know, good. it's people. I love people. Yeah. Places are broken. Yeah. And you know, that's okay. Like it, it's worldly. Places are institutions mm-hmm. and we're not married to an institution. I didn't take a vow to an institution. I took a vow to Jesus Christ, to a person, to yeah. a, my God, to my faith, my belief, to to this idea of love, love God and love people. That's uh, what I'm married right, to. Right. And so just as a prerequisite, also just quick disclaimer, we are not talking about church hurt today to one, to devalue or devalidate anyone's pain. Your yes. pain, we're not saying your pain isn't valid. Pain is valid. It is valid. Hurt is valid. What you went through and your experience is valid, 100%. No one's devaluing that. What we're trying to walk through today is how do we get from our pain to peace? When we don't have peace and we're stuck in our pain, the only person that's left reeling in pain is us. While this institution goes on and lives their life and everybody continues to either get saved, get hurt, get free, get whatever, you know, (laughs) the family keeps functioning like a dysfunctional family. Everyone's dysfunctional. If you think your family's not dysfunctional, you're sadly mistaken. (laughs) You might need a third party to just take a look. (laughs) Everybody has dysfunction because we're human. So that leads me to this um, diagram that I drew to help me figure out personally, how do I get out of this place of judgment and have righteous anger that leads to a place of peace instead of a place of criticism and anger and bitterness. Yes. Because for me, that's a road I've had to walk for two years because I was mishandled 
at the church that I went to, my husband and I, we went through a situation that was really painful and just mishandled. Like we, we have grace for people. It was, you know, words were said and things were done that were just off color and wrong and were never owned up to by the people that were responsible, like just never owned up to just kind of brushed over. And it makes it worse when you hurt someone and then you act like you didn't. And then you obsessively act overly nice to them as if it never happened. That's really worse. The quickest way to peace is a direct route for me. I feel that. I will post this diagram so you can see it. But I drew a line down as like being a deep feeler, like having deep, deep feelings. And then I drew an arrow up that says justice. So I personally, I'm a deep feeler and I'm high justice. And a lot of us, per research and statistics, that experience church hurt the most and the deepest that tend to walk away from the church are both deep feelers and high justice. Because we have this righteous indignation that we want to, we want to right the wrongs. We want it to, we want everything to be right. And, and that's good. That's from the Lord. Like the Lord gives us these qualities for a reason. There's a place for us in the church. We're talking about how do we get to this place of righteous anger that leads to healthy accountability instead of a critical spirit. And being a critical person and having a critical spirit is not the same as being a critical thinker. Being a critical Ooh, thinker, good. thinking for yourself is a good thing. It's good to think for yourself. It's good to use your mind. It's good to not check your brain at the door. It is not good to overanalyze and be critical of someone else's every move to the point where you are judging them and now you are the power that be and you have this pride issue that leads to bitterness that you can't uproot without love. So what I found is with this arrow pointing down that says feeler and this arrow pointing up that says justice, if I go directly from feeler to justice, I will have a critical spirit every time. I will be acting in a critical spirit because something has to intersect because my deep, 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 deep feelings when I'm sad, the root of pain is sadness. Hurt and sadness turn to anger. That's secondary. And then anger can turn to bitterness or pride, judgment, critical spirit, all of that. And all that's acting out of this critical spirit. So all of that to say, in order to get to righteous anger and healthy accountability, we have to factor in the deepest emotion of all of them. If we're deep feelers, we need to go to the bottom of the barrel, the depth, and to get to the deepest place. The deepest place is the deepest person, the deepest well, the deepest being there is. That's Jesus. That's God. God is what? Love. If we take love out of the equation between feeling our feelings and moving to justice, if we take love out, we're always going to be acting in a critical spirit. If we go from feeler and we go deep enough and we get past our anger and we get past our sadness and we get past our bitterness, the root of that, we can tap into a love that's outside of ourselves, which is God. He provides that. He's the source. We pull from him. We grab onto that love and then We walk through this feeling of justice and we work out this 
kind of righteous anger that turns into a peaceful accountability. I'll write that down. I'll make a diagram for you to see what I'm talking about because it's kind of hard to explain, but love is the root. We have to have love. If we're not operating in love when we handle people, then we're always going to mishandle people. Yeah, it reminds me of when I think about, like the Bible says, don't judge others. But at the same time, we are supposed to call each other out. So yeah. what's the difference? And I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And I actually, are, we uh, went to a church. The pastor one Sunday was talking about, how do you know if you're judging somebody? Right. And when you judge somebody, mm-hmm. it's when you are deciding the other person's intent. Yeah. Like I'm deciding for them that I think that they're really meant to hurt me in this situation. Yeah. When reality we're making assumptions. We don't know their yeah. true intentions. All we know is the result. So this is a huge game that we get caught up in that we play with ourselves. Where yeah. We've decided all these things and then they bounce off of each other. And before we know it, we've created this whole community that hates us all of a sudden. Right. Or we've created this whole, this whole community that's bad all of a sudden. Right. And it's like, wait, they never actually said that. So sometimes when my friends are talking to me about, can you believe da 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 And I'll be like, I'll just ask questions. That's like my favorite way right. to pull things out. It's like, mm-hmm. did they really say this? Like, why do you think that? Why do you think this? I get really, I get really frustrated with, with the, I, t- I talked about this earlier with the victim mentality mm-hmm. because it's only holding you prisoner. It's giving right. you your own echo chamber of everything that I do is right. And everybody around me is, is wrong. And right. again, I say this also being mindful of the people who have, horrific traumatic right. church hurt experiences yeah. that I am and I am really not talking to them about about yeah. this like to, people to who have experienced like sexual abuse in yes. the church yes. or things like that they've yes. been physically mishandled or you know verbally mishandled in a lot of ways like that yeah that's not necessarily what we're digging into right, right. now yeah. i'm sure you can take bits and pieces from this yeah. and maybe apply it to I don't know, help work through that, yeah. I hope. Yeah. But what we're talking about is being mishandled as a person or being in a church where things are off color or, you know, they're not preaching the word or, th- you know, things like that, things that are a little less intense. Right. Now, I do acknowledge that with that kind of church hurt, people who've been sexually abused, I know that this title of this podcast is going to attract those kind of listeners. And I want you to know that if you have experienced sexual abuse in the church, absolutely, there should be accountability. And there is a righteous anger for that because God does not want that. That is an abuse of his church. That is turning his church into something it was never meant to be. That is not God's heart. And just know that if that is you, We love you. We have compassion for you. I want to pray for you. Please message me if I can pray for you or intercede for you in any way, shape, or form. Or even just hear you if you need someone to listen to you. Because I know that a lot of people that go through that go through that in silence. And they just are looking for things with titles like this that say church hurt. Oh my gosh, I have that. How do I get how do I get free from this? How do I how do I feel better? how do I walk this out and feel okay and live my life when something big like this has happened to me? And I don't have all the answers. I'm going to be the first one to tell you that. This is just a discussion between Sydney and I with our experiences and why we walked away from certain churches and 
not every experience is going to end in reconciliation by going back in. Sometimes reconciliation with a situation means staying away, means having a healthy distance. And that's okay. God calls us different places all the time. And that's for the Lord to judge, not me. I do want to say something to those people, though, because that probably happens more than we even realize. Right. If those people are experiencing that in silence, how, do, how are we going to know? Like, of, right. of course that's happening. Yeah. And so totally affirm that. I feel so convicted to make sure that whoever's listening and whatever your background is with this, that they hear that you said this in the beginning, Satan hates us. He hates us because we are made in God's image and he hates the church. And the church is not a man-made idea. The church is what Jesus chose as his vehicle to bring him the hope of the world into the world. Right. And so it is important that we are in the body of believers Mm -hmm. because that is where we can find crazy freedom, healing. That's where we find people that will lead us to that. Right. right? And so only Jesus can give us the power to receive those things and, and through the power of the Holy spirit. But It is people most of the time that are going to expose that to us and walk it out with us. Of course, we have those moments alone with the Holy Spirit where we are radically changed and and by ourselves, you know what I mean? But then it's in those moments at a friend's house or Sunday mornings are such a great starting point to honestly hear a great word if you got a solid, (laughs) solid uh, Holy Spirit led preacher. And then obviously worship. Worship is my favorite favorite part of a Sunday morning to actually worship God and praise him with other people, with the body of believers. That's like my favorite thing ever. So great, great starting point. But that's where you meet people where you're at their house and in the middle of the night, bawling your head off, you're talking it out. Right. Right. So on Sunday we're receiving a lot. And then when we're actually doing life with people, we're, we're pouring out and we're also finally able to talk it out and like speak the words like this is what the heck's going on in my life like help me like I don't even know what to do with this right Right. and so I say all that because maybe the most freeing thing that somebody can do who's been hurt by the church or leadership in the church Mm -hmm. or people in the church is to find that body of believers that can walk them through that and I don't say that to say that that's an easy thing to do I don't say that to say get you to church on Sunday go find one like Yeah. You know, because there's some bad ones out there and you really got to. Yeah. That's why we have the Lord. That's why he's walking with us. That's why Jesus said, I'm giving you someone better, the Holy Spirit to walk with you every day, Um, because then he can be with all of us all all at the same time. Go sit with the Lord and and ask him about this. Ask Mm -hmm. him, like, first of all, God, help me to see these people that like hurt me. Help me to see them the way you see them, Mm -hmm. which is a whole thing to walk out in and of itself. But that's a start starting somewhere. And I don't say this because I'm like, every Christian needs to be in church on set. It's not about that. It's about actual life change. There's a reason why we have church. There's a reason why Jesus encountered Saul in Acts nine and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm persecuting the church. The church sucks. And he's like, I chose the church. I need you to get on board with this. This is what I've chosen. This is me. And looking at it like that, like how much yeah. God cares about his church and that chosen vehicle. When we say church, it's not a church building. Huddles are important. And I, I always, I can't believe I'm about to use a football analogy, but I'm about <laughs> to use a football analogy. 
if you know me, the like sports ball, like that's that's what it is. I believe that a lot of people get it flipped where most people see church as the big game, the Sunday game. Like that's where we played out. We all get in the stadium and we got the fans in the crowd and everybody's cheering and we're all like in the stadium together. That's that's what the enemy wants you to believe, that that's where it counts. But it's not. That's our huddle before we get on the field. The field is the other six days a week, all seven. Right. Yeah. But when we huddle for that hour, two hours, sometimes three on Sunday or whatever day you choose, your Sabbath, your time with the Lord can look like anything. Let me be the first to just release you from that traditional mindset in the fact that my husband and I did house church. We hosted one for over a year and we didn't do it on Sundays. We did it Friday nights and that was our church and it was awesome and the Holy Spirit was there and life change happened. And when I say life change and when Sydney says life change, we don't mean behavioral adjustment because we don't need a behavioral adjustment to follow Jesus. Heart change produces natural behavior adjustments that's just how it goes like when you fall in love when you genuinely fall in love with someone you naturally start treating them different you naturally start acting in love you act different you spend more time with them you do different things sometimes your hobbies change that's normal so when we say have life change life change just means a transformation of the mind, a transformation of your heart to something that looks more like Christ. I think a lot of us get caught up in thinking the church wants to do a behavioral change in us so that we look different than the way we look now. Like, oh, they just want me to be somebody else that I'm not. Like, they don't accept me as I am. And that's such a lie because the way that God created us when he formed us in our mother's womb was perfect. He called us good. He called us very good, just like Adam and Eve. It didn't go downhill from there. When he created us, we were made perfect in his image. It says he knit everything. God doesn't make mistakes. But then we're birthed into sin. We're into this broken world. The world is broken and it breaks us down. The world breaks things about us and breaks things inside of us. And we are born into sin. And so when we get freed from sin, we accept Jesus. What that does is it doesn't change you into somebody you're not. It takes you back to who you were meant to be in the first place. It's the garden version. It's the perfect version. It's the free version. It's the naked version. (laughs) You know, it's like, even if I make a mistake, guess what? I don't have shame because Jesus paid for it before I ever thought of it, before I ever walked it out. That's good. So when we say that, I just want you to know what we mean. No one's talking about behavioral change. We're talking about genuine, like falling in love with Jesus. How does that change you? You touched on this a second ago, but you talked about identity. And I think that's super important to talk about how does identity adjust our view of other people and our view of ourselves. In scripture, it says... When you judge others, you're essentially judging yourself. Yeah. It's it's self-judgment. We've only now in culture come to this realization through reading all these memes and seeing all these internet psychologists come out and be like, oh, well, when you're judging somebody else, you're essentially just showing more about who you are. 
Well, that's been around forever. That's pretty biblical. (laughs) So we've known that for a couple thousand years, if you just opened the book. I think it's really interesting when we look at pastors or even anyone in the church who's in leadership looks at their flock. It goes both ways and judges them and says, like, this is who you are or doesn't see them as who they are in Christ. When we do that, like we talked about before, we completely disregard the cross in their life, in our life, because if we disregard it in their life, we're essentially disregarding it in our life. We're telling God that that cross is limited and it's limited to what? Me? Yeah. It's limited to their sin, but not mine. I don't know. If the cross becomes how we identify ourselves and the person of Jesus is how we are now identified as a child of God. How should that change our perception and our judgment of people? Identity is so huge to me. Yeah. And this goes back to our freaking high school conversation because yeah. I, I so struggled in high school because I had no idea who I was. Mm. And we're constantly walking out the sanctification process, right? Until we're right. in glory and, and that's all good. And so even as you talk, I literally think about the depth of how you received what the work on the cross was mm-hmm. and what that means today and what that means to you. And so I literally listen to you and I'm like, do I fully receive? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, and that goes yeah. back to identity. Like yeah. I can look back at high school, Sydney and see like she had her, like she believed in what her boyfriend said she was And the way that he treated her was how she believed about herself. And that's exactly the trouble that you can get in when you look at your pastors or your leaders in the church or or even your parents, let's say, and Mm -hmm. the way that they treat you and what they're allowing to happen to you, right? Right. How you you receive that and what you choose to take in and, and push away shows how much you've received what the work on the cross was. Right. And so I think about times where I was so confused at, at our, at our last, at our old church, so confused about like, is this, is this okay? What's happening over? And Cause yeah. you, you really start to believe like we can't question them. We yeah. can't. And then when we started to push back, it was like, you're not with us. You're not mm. really with us. And it, it, so you look back and it's like, again, I don't think that it was, it was, ill-intentioned yeah but maybe that just exposes more of where they're at you know what I mean more than anything and it's like cool like you're in your own walk over there I can no longer submit to this for a slew of other reasons right and so you have to identify where where like what they're coming at you with you have to you have to just measure that up to the cross and say are you holding me to something that God isn't holding me to are you really like and when I, when I bring it up to you and I'm trying to walk out this process that you were talking about earlier, where I want to go deep with you and I want to try to get there, are you going to play word games with me or are yeah. you really going to be, be raw with me and, and talk to me about what the heck is going on here? Can we just say that we don't, cause you're talking earlier about mm-hmm. the China set, right? Yeah. And it looks so pretty. And this being, uh, being a, ch- a staff wife, let's say. I get to see behind the curtain. I get right. to open the lid and look inside and see all the things that are going on. And it is so messy. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. 
but there is so much grace and you go into it with so much grace. And the more that you go through stuff like this and the more churches you're a part of, the more you're like, okay, like, yeah, nobody's got it perfect. We got to just get on board with that and be okay with that. Right. But you do have to see where they'll, where they will go with you. You have to see like, how real are they going to be with you about whatever's going on, about what they're saying to you or about whatever this decision was and how did we get there? And I'm telling you this and you're just telling me, you're fine or I can see that you're struggling, but here's a high five. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Right. (laughs) Right. So I think that that is, that goes with, with everything. Uh, I know that we're talking about church hurt. So obviously it's to be said here, but I think a lot about, cause church is a family. I think a lot about Mm -hmm. people's relationship with their parents. And I think about how they, uh, what they, what they receive in them. And what they are willing to say, no, that is, I'm not going to receive that. And I'm honoring you still. You're my, you're my parent. I'm honoring you still. But yeah, that, that is, that was a very, uh, key moment for us when we finally saw like, this is no longer, uh, a place that's going to harness a healthy environment for us. Yes. And so we got to remove ourselves and that's okay. And it's okay that I still want this church over here to blow up and be great and save all the people. And Well, what we want, I think, is like when you step away from something like that, and this is anywhere. I would say this with a a parent situation. I would say this with even, you know, any sort of abusive situation. While I haven't walked in that type of abuse, I would say, and I've said this before, God does not tolerate abuse of his kids. Yeah. He does not tolerate it. So yeah. if you think that just because it happened in the church, that the church is good with it or God's good with it, you are so mistaken. Yeah. That is not scriptural. That is not God's heart. He is love. He is goodness. That is not a part of who he is or what he's okay with. So if you've experienced abuse or anything like that, you just let I'm going to give you a free pass. You can leave. You absolutely should leave. Truly. Now, when it comes to the idea of reconciliation, God's heart, he makes it very clear, is always reconciliation. Now, reconciliation does not always mean we go back into the the relationship. It doesn't always mean we go back in the building. It doesn't always mean that we still have much of a relationship. Sometimes it means that what we're doing is we're reconciling our heart back to God and we're reconciling our heart to that person in a way that we're not trusting them again. We're not even in their presence anymore, but our heart is reconciled to the place that we have dug so deep into the Holy Spirit that we are able to pull love out of there and compassion for them who is deceived. They're walking in deception and being a pawn of the enemy. They're essentially a pawn because the Bible says we we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Right. So what we're doing is we need to, where we are putting our attention, is it on the person or is it on the principality and power that has a hold on that person? And That's that good. person is a pawn. If you look in the guy favorite um, example of, of this, I would say that's really tangible is if you remember the man that was demon possessed by the legion of demons came out of the cave 
when Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, he came across and this man was tormented. He was destroying his own body. Would anyone destroy their own body? Probably not. Like, no, you're not going to do that on your own. He was going crazy. Immediately, the demons recognized Jesus and said, oh, holy one, we're not worthy, blah, 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 blah. Like, just send us into the pigs. Don't hurt us. Just send us into the pigs. Jesus like, okay, fine. Did he see, the man was yelling curse words at him. I mean, he was like psycho. The man could have hurt anybody. Yeah. They sent these demon-possessed people back. Away, because they were going to hurt. They yeah. Hurt. Yeah. That's why he was in a cave. They were exiled from the community because they would kill people. They would hurt people. Right. They would harm themselves. They were dangerous. Why do we think things are different today? When the enemy has a hold of somebody, it doesn't have to be a legion. When the enemy has a hold of somebody or has an influence over somebody, they're going to hurt people. That's good. But we don't send them out. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. So the thing that Jesus did and cast them out of the man, out of compassion, it says he had compassion on the man. He had compassion because he saw the, the shell which was who he created. He created the shell of this intention when he formed him in the womb of his mother, this in, this good, when he called him good, he made him. Everything God makes is good. And then he was born into this broken world and the enemy got a hold of him and used the shell as his home because it was not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing was present there. There was an open shell to fill. So they went in and took advantage. Jesus cast those out. Now that we have the Holy Spirit, why are we not going up to these people that are influenced, I'd say specifically to know to you know be discerning, to know for sure people who abuse other people physically? Yeah. You are influenced by the enemy. Yeah. Period. And that's the kind of thing where we need to go up and be like that is not of God. You need to get out. Yeah. We're not exiling them. We're not having compassion on the person. And that's part of reconciliation. And that's the only way that I've ever been able to wrap my mind around how do we reconcile with people that have hurt us and aren't sorry and don't care. Yeah. The only way we can do that is we see their humanity. We see the shell that God made that he said was good. They were made in the image of God. They're an image bearer of God. But the inside isn't yet filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an open vessel. And the enemy got there first. And now he's He's using them as a pawn and they are, they are a vessel. They don't, they know not what they do. Just like Jesus said on the cross, they know not what they do. They're a pawn. So the pull from Christ to what do we do? How do I, how do we actually do that? In my opinion, we become intercessors for them. That's our job. Our job is to have so much compassion that it leads us to pray blessings and freedom and love and prosperity over them because if we don't who will yeah are you just gonna say words you condemn them with your treatment of them in your heart you may not say it but if you hold bitterness towards somebody you're essentially condemning them in your heart saying you're unredeemable no one's unredeemable look what jesus did when he walked the earth forgiveness reconciliation process within yourself it is it is walking like separation of there's a reason why they they got here there's yep. a reason why this is happening yeah people like free people free people hurt people hurt people amen so That's it's like it. it's like and learning what 
other people have gone through, the way they were raised, the way they were treated, Mm -hmm. gives you so much grace and so much more compassion. And it really just helps reason in your mind, like, why are they like this? (laughs) You know? And, and all of that is, is, is so helpful, but it has to, we have to, we have to walk that out. We have to walk that out, not necessarily for the, for their sake, at least initially, but for ours to, to, to have that forgiveness. Because when you're walking around, we've all heard this, when you're walking around with all of that crap on you and you're holding on to all, that is so much work and that is so much energy and focus that is wasted on past wasted yeah. on stuff that's gone dead and gone and and the the part to walk through that the more freedom that's going to come to you the more freedom that you can then give to others and it's such god's trying to give us these gifts and yeah. we just love to hold on to the crap <laughs> yeah i i mean i'll be completely honest when i first left after a situation of church hurt i was bitter for a minute and i had to really get to a place where first of all I was willing to admit that I was bitter. Yeah. Because that's hard. Be honest. When Be you're honest. when you're a Christian, you're like, I love God. I love people. I'm all about, you know, like I want to bring everybody to Christ. I love Jesus so much. And then I'm holding bitterness at the same time. Do you want to know what my first inclination was? And I think this is a lot of people could probably relate to this and you don't know until you're there. I slowly lost my joy. Mm. You cannot have contempt towards anyone or anything or bitterness and simultaneously have joy. It's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It will diminish the the longer you hang on to it and the more it builds and the less you deal with it, the less joy you have. And I realized there was a point where I'm like, why, why is it so hard for me? Like this was like two years ago. Why is it so hard for me to feel like I can gut laugh? Why can't I do wow. that? Why is that so hard now? Why am I so much harder than I was before? Wow. I felt a, like a hardness on myself. And I was like, yeah. that's not who I was. Where did that come from? Oh, what am I hanging on to? And I just, I had to sit before the Lord. I'm like, God, what is this? Yeah. And he's like, with Kate on um, the episode about divorce, when you're bitter, on to something because you don't want to let it go and you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to look at it either. So that's why it's in a closed fist and you're squeezing and you're squeezing and squeeze. Eventually that's going to start to throb. It's going to ache. And eventually, have you ever seen someone who's like elderly who has clenched fists and they've had it for years? Like they have um, arthritis or things where they can't open their hands. If you watch them try to open their hands, it's the slow, painful, like kind of like decrepit like. decrepit oh. yeah it's like decrepit what is that uh character from the ring what is his name i don't know but i know oh yeah that little I creepy can, dude in the cave <laughs> guys don't i judge just us. don't ask me about movies <laughs> i'm just the worst i actually fell asleep during that movie like your joy than if you had just clutched it and you open you it wait, right away the longer it is wait, so hard the easier it is to sit in it yes yeah. it becomes your norm it is and i love that you mentioned something about um like relationship with your parents um after getting married that you've probably experienced something similar. And a lot of my friends I've talked to experience this. Like when we go through your first couple years of marriage, you're kind of figuring out what you're going to take and what you're going to kind of not take yes, from totally. each of your respective Absolutely. families. And then you start to see things in like your parents and your grandparents. And you're like, why are they, why do they do that? <laughs> like, I don't understand. What? Like, I I've don't want to like, I've that's something that. that kind of 
You know, you start to find isms that you're like, that kind of irks me. I don't really love that. And it gets to be really easy to like analyze people in your yeah, family yeah. and like start to like yeah. super easy yeah. because you start to step outside. You're stepping outside. So you're kind of just like seeing you're not in now. Yeah. yeah, you're not in complete relationship with them, yeah. which is that's how church is. We're in a family. We see each other occasionally, you know, like regularly, but occasionally we're not in each other's house. So, but we're close another and we see things about each other and we're experiencing things because we're regularly together that yeah. irk each other. Yeah. But it's easier because we have a history and we know their history so deeply that we can trace it back and say, well, you know, my great grandparent came from this situation and they turned the ship about 30% due north. And then the next grandparent kind of, they turned the ship about 30 more percent due north. And then my parents, they're doing better. Like they did work. Every generation's doing work, but they're not what up to par to what idea of healthy is, but no one is. That's the Our goal. Our kids are going to do the same thing. That's the goal. The yeah. goal is that every generation, your kids yes. turn the ship a yeah. little bit more due north. Yeah. That's the prayer. That's yes. the hope. And so why don't we do that in the church? See, preach that this is such a dangerous area. The area you just described where we're close enough to know a little bit of what's going on, but we're not in, I'm not in my pastor's uh, living room talking to him every he's like so this is why I really want to speak to the married couples out there or if you're not Please married do. like who's your person that you talk to about all this stuff right all the stuff that's going right. on the way that you talk is and I really think about I really especially think about the married couples because that's our person right yeah is the way that you talk about people about your pastors about what's going on in your church the way that you frame the conversation mm-hmm. and talk about it is going to harness either a, a critical thing or it's going to yeah. harness a very critical conversation and it's all going to pile up and pile up and pile up and so we have to be very careful about how authoritatively we speak about whatever we see because yeah. we don't know everything it's we need to sometimes say that to each other like okay wait we don't know everything and this isn't us trying to stick, stick our heads in the sand, but this yeah. is us trying to be like, we want to believe the best. And if this really becomes an issue, we can address it to the proper authorities and, and go, go, yeah. go there. But, um, it, the way they did things and how yeah. our, we talk about our, our church and the way they, they do things. That is such a good analogy because there are so many parallels. There's yeah. so many things where you can get yourself in a lot of trouble and you can start to harbor this bitterness towards either party. Mm-hmm. And, um, those relationships and that's not good for for the body that's right and i think the common denominator that we're finding if you would just look at the family analogy is compassion when you know someone's yeah. history and you take the time to get to know them and their past and their intricacies you have to be in very close quarters that's to good. get there and that's what forms compassion and love and that's compassion so and love is what fuels heart change and real change. If you just want behavioral modification, judge people all day, shame them publicly, criticize them, that'll have behavioral change, but you're not helping anybody. Right. You know, that's what you do with like a wayward kid. And you're like, I just want you to obey in my house. And then they leave your house and they go nuts. Well, that's because it's not real change. Right. It's behavior modification. That is such a good way to say it. 
It's such a good way to say it, girl. A long time good. to think about this. Let me tell you guys, <laughs> I, I just, I need you to know, I have not always been in this place. These thought processes have taken years of work outside of the institution of a church, of an actual like church location. You know, we've done yeah. house church. We've done yeah. things that are a little out of the norm, out of the systematic kind of typical traditional look for the, the past couple years for me on how we're doing church. So I, I, hear, yeah. I hear you on that. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that guys. Yeah. Like yeah. church is our gathered. The Holy spirit is there. Yeah. Done. Yeah. It, you have people that you're huddling with that can hold you accountable and you can hold them accountable yeah. and you're encountering the Lord together and you're reading a little bit of scripture. Hey, you just had church. Congratulations. Yeah. That's church. If you look at the old Testament, that's what I want to get back to. I'm like, we look at the Old Testament church. I'm like, why do we make it so complicated? Sure. Guess what it was? Bread, wine. Someone told a story about Jesus and everyone's just sitting around and then they kind of talk, start talking about it. And then someone breaks out in song like <laughs> over here, just singing about, you know, the goodness of God. And it's an overflow. It's not a written song that that's sounds... previously been known by everybody. Yeah, it's a move a of the time. spirit. That sounds like my kind of time. Uh, yeah, George I'm down. Just talking about that. Like, what are our hobbies? We were away for five days yeah. without our kids, and we looked at each other like, "What do we do for fun?" Right. <laughs> and when, that's when it, so normal. When it came down to it, we were like, "We like to hang out with other people, yeah, and have have good conversation. That is what we you. love to do." And yeah, it's usually over meal, throwing some wine, and if we break out in song, all the better. Perfect. That's perfect. I'm, I'm down. Girl, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast too is, or I feel like the Lord asked me to start this podcast is because this is my MO. Like I can't, I don't do small talk well. I don't do like, if we're, I'm probably going to walk away first. Like if we get to the point where I'm even thinking about the weather, this ain't going to work. Yeah. Um, I just, I things that matter. I so I love this conversation. I'm so thankful you're here having this conversation. Um, but I think our idea of being able to be in community with people and chase after this thing called faith and hope and try to find what the Holy Spirit has for us when it comes to healing and practicing just having faith for that and loving each other well and trying to um, just obey God, know him better, like just knowing him, like yeah. how do we, how do we have a relationship with them? Just exploring the simplicity of that. Yeah. If we could just get back to that, I think, I think we'll be a lot more of a healthy church because I think we focus so much on systems and agendas Programs. and um, ideology, all of this. And ideologies are great; they're important. But need I remind you all? The Bible says. And you can see this every time Jesus came in contact with a demonic entity. The demons acknowledge who God is. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. They actually esteem him as Lord. Okay. So you can be a person that esteems him as Lord. You can memorize scripture. The demons have the entire Bible memorized. They know every scripture. It's, it's not a lack of knowledge. We don't need more knowledge. We don't need to just sit there and memorize scriptures, though that's good. Right. It's a weapon. It's a right, tool right. in the tool belt. 
the tool belt's good, but that doesn't make you a carpenter. I can put on a tool belt. That doesn't make me a pro at construction. You know, I have the tools to get better, to do my job better, to live in my identity better. But my identity will never be found in the presence of people. It will only be found in the presence of God. That's it. Yeah. So I was a elevate church, Pastor Jeff. He was preaching the other Sunday. And when he preaches, he talks like he just talks about how he talks with God. Yeah. And I honestly, I told him, I was like, I don't have these kind of conversations like you do. And it's just an area that I'm like, even the way you're talking, Sarah, I'm like, well, I want that. I want to get woken up at three in the morning and talk to God. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I be careful people... what you say, sister. <laughs> I... It's a little exhausting sometimes. It's <laughs> not always people, with the has- happy smile face. I can relate to this. I really do because, like, I am I am the girl that's up at six a.m. in my word every morning. That is me. That that's me. Okay? See, guess what? That ain't me. And I wish that I did that. But I. But that's not me. I am like, I feel like I never give God the space to just like you just said. You're never going to grow in the presence of people the way that you're going to sit in the presence of God and grow and hear and be able to be like, I said this to God and he was like, did you ever think about this? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Pastor Jeff will say that. And I and he's like, you know, I feel like I need to talk to you guys more about that. Like the the congregation, because you just said it. It's like we have his word. We know we're supposed to we know we're supposed to pray, be in his word. And we know we're supposed to go and make disciples. But we never sit. I mean, rarely, I never yeah. take the time to just like, I get so just, dist- I get so distracted. I do too. Like, and I know he's yeah. so cool. Like, Oh, this guy at our, our church in Orlando, he said this one time he was like, um, somebody and then I fell asleep and I felt so guilty. Like God's going to be, you know, and it's, he's like, I have never once gotten upset with my kid for falling asleep in my arms. No. And I was like, that's oh beautiful. My gosh. So I feel like this is just an area that we have to be more intentional about giving God the space. Yeah. I don't know how that starts. If you just say, I'm taking five minutes, I'm going to go sit. No one talk to me. I got to, mm-hmm. I got to give him some space because right. we got to start somewhere. And, and to be honest, happening for people. So you know what God, we have to give God a little credit. He knows what we're inundated with technology wise in our culture right now, yeah. he understands the culture. Like he sees it all. He knew what the culture was going to be before the culture ever came about. Like everything that's ever been ever will be invented. He already knew about it before it happened. He put the ideas there. So he is the mastermind. So all the time, like God knows my attention span. He yeah. knows that we're limited. He knows that. He knows how limited we are. And heart. Is your heart to experience the Lord? Is your heart to know God? Right. And, you know, the fruit of always going to be God wakes you up at 3 a.m. and gives you this amazing word and vision. That's yeah, not always yeah. going to be the fruit. Sometimes the fruit is, I have a sense of all today. Like I looked at the sky and I had a sense of all. There are some days that I'm like, I wish I had more of a sense of awe and wonder because I feel jaded. Yeah. Sure, you know? Yeah. And sometimes that's his mercy. Yeah. And sometimes his mercy is you know, grace to have a sweet moment with your family, like whatever it is, or to have a great deep conversation with somebody else that gives you maybe a word or 
um, a challenge that you wouldn't have experienced prior that grows you deeper in your faith. His mercy and his, the way we experience him, I think is super individual and personal. You're right. And it's You're not so all right. going to look the same. And for me, I'm a super deep feeler. He knows that about me. And I, since I was like eight years old, probably actually younger, I have always tangibly felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, do I think that's possible for everybody? Yes. Yes, I do. I think God is tangible. He is a tangible being and he can reveal himself and will at any time and space. But it's his choice, not mine. I can invite him, but it's his choice of whether I can handle it or not. And whether or not that's going to be like a hit of dopamine or if I'm going to honor and reverence that, you know? That's good. It's true (laughs) because I can treat it like a drug and get addicted to it like a drug or I can treat it as a, treat him as a person and as like I'm sitting with my best friend. And it's, I've been on both sides of that. You know, I have, I had a time where I was almost addicted to that feeling because it feels like, I'll be honest, I've never been high. Yeah. Never been high before, but I bet that's what it's like because it's insane. Yeah. And it's easy to get addicted to that. It's easy to be, what did they call them? Um, but it's, there's like a term for it. And I don't want to chase that. I don't want to chase a feeling. I'm chasing a person. Yeah. I'm chasing a, a, a being. I'm chasing my savior, someone who died for me. I'm not chasing how he makes me feel. Yeah. You know, it's great. That's a super fun, you know, perk. Yeah. But we can experience that. But I think God also knows, like, there's been years. I have a uh, a friend who is a seer, who sees angels and has since he was six years old. Like, regularly, just has never yeah. not seen them. Like, walks around, and that's just his experience every day. Um, I have many times to see an angel. I'm like, I want to see an angel so freaking bad. <laughs> like, I want to see an angel. But then when I spend time with the Lord and I'm really honest with him about that and I'm honest with myself, I'm like, God, that would probably freak me out, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> and, and I know, like, God, I, I, I really don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah, and I know you know better. Yeah. And I know you know that I'm not probably ready for that. And I don't know if I will be here on earth. Yeah. I don't know. But you know what my heart can, tan- can handle? Your head can handle. And you know how to keep me in humility. And in order to keep me in humility... He gives at certain times. He gives in certain doses. And he also gives different measures of faith to people. I think, too, it's like a balance of, like, cause as you're talking, it makes me think of my relationship with my husband or a person, right? Like, because right. that's who he is as a person. And instead of treating him like a gumball machine, like, I put yes. my time in. Can I get my present? Yeah. It's kind of like, like you said, we can ask him for those things. Like, yeah. Hey, I just want to experience you in a new way. Like mm-hmm. I would love to experience you this way, but I trust that you're going to give me, like you just said, what well, I can handle what, what I would receive best. I have to just choose to trust that, you know, better imagine that like yeah. truly walk it out. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of a balance of that, like letting him know, like, why wouldn't I just ask him? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it goes both ways where, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but a lot of people, a lot of Christians use this phrase a lot in prayer and, and from the pulpit. I want to be used by God. I want God to use me. Yeah. God doesn't use people. He loves people. Yeah. He pursues people. He gracious. 
saves people and pulls people out. He's a rescuer. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's a healer. He's like all these things. He's not a user. He would never use you because guess what? And when you use something, it's because you need something. God doesn't need anything. He only wants us. So he'll never use us to get what he wants or needs because he wants for nothing and he needs nothing. He desires us only from the source of love. He loves us. That is it. Period. Done. Story's over. He just loves us. And I think we do, we tend to flip that and go, well, we start to use God. And we're like, we're using him for a feeling. We're using him for a gift. We're using him for a result instead of just treating him for who he is and yeah. honoring him for who he is and saying, God, I want a relationship with you because of who you are, because you created me, because you are God, because you are this being that created all this around me. I just want to know you for you. And I want to know you because you love me. Yeah. What do you, you, what do you think, what they're trying to say when they say that? Sure. What do you think is, what do you think they're actually, what do you think they should be saying instead? Because I resonate with like, yeah, I want to be used by God, but you're right. Like you're mm-hmm. right in what you just explained. Yeah. And I like, I really like how you think about things. And that's why <laughs> I'm like, can you say this another way? Because I feel like it's helping me with my train of thought and like how sure. I think about this. When people say I want to be used by God, I think it's a little bit of a misunderstanding of those words because when of like, when I think of that, I think I want to steward my life. I want to do the things he set before me to do. You know, it says he prepares works for us to do in advance. I want to do all the things that he set out for me to do and do it to his glory. Yeah. I don't want him to necessarily use me because when you use something, our definition, we use it and we put it back. We use it and we throw it away. I just want to be. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's it's a it's a sense of utility versus being. Yeah. And I just want to be confident and comfortable in just being. Yeah. And I've had to concept a lot because yeah, you know, I think a lot of us can say I want to be used by God, like I want God to allow me to partner with him. Right, right. For the furthering of his kingdom. Right. I want to partner with him. But I don't want him to pick me up like a tool and use me and put me back. Right. I understand. I want to be a partner and to work in tandem with the Holy Spirit. But that's not just like this idea of being used by God of like, I want God to do something amazing in my life that other people see or that other people can appreciate. Yeah. Instead of. God, I want you to, I want to hear it every day, every minute so that I'm constantly walking in step with you so that if you say lie down, the answer is yes. So if you say go eat, the answer is yes. If you say go talk to this person, the answer is yes. It doesn't, our idea used typically has to do with a pedestal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. Like what are they really, what are we really saying? That's what are we just really expecting when we yeah. say that. Yeah. That's my personal breakdown of what I've walked through yeah. with the Lord. Because back in the day, I'd say even in college, I was like, I want to do this I'm a singer. I want to be on stage. I want God to use me on stage, you know, to sing and bring people to Christ. And I'm like, why do I have to be on stage to do that? Yeah. Why do I have to sing on a stage? Why? And I've learned that I much more enjoy 
worshiping without a microphone, leading from a place of facilitating the beginning and end of a song and just being like a reference point in a room. But I don't need a stage. I don't need a microphone. I much more prefer that because there's no pressure. There's no glory that I have to deflect. It, It takes it all off. Yeah, that's good. Now, if he chooses to put a spotlight on me, so be it. Like, yes and amen. Okay. Whatever you want to do, you know, you do that. But I'm not running toward it. Yeah. I will not run toward it. Yeah. So, identity and who we are versus also the identity we give God and we put on him, how we see him, how we see the cross and the value we put on that and whether we even see it as enough, truly. Right. Um, I was talking concept with Val last week of, you know, thinking of, you know, when we believing that God still heals. Yeah. And that God wants to heal us always. Yeah. He always wants our healing, yeah. not just like, is it God's will to heal? Right, yes. right, right. The answer is yes. It is always God's will to heal. <laughs> Do you know why? Because in the very same sentence, it said Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins, to die for our iniquity, our our shame, our sin, and all of our sickness and disease. Mm. So if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, if I believe that the whole point of him dying on the cross was to, to release me from that, if I believe that he was to release me from any of those list of things, then I must simultaneously believe that he died to heal me. I can't cherry pick that and say that it wasn't all encompassing because he said it was all encompassing. So at that point, I'm just saying, oh, I think you did this, but I don't think you did that. Yeah. So I like, I believe this part, but I don't believe this part. Yeah. Well, okay. So you believe him or you don't. The cross was enough or it wasn't. Right. Period. Over and over again, because we're reading through the New Testament, right? Keep saying it's your faith that made you well. Yes. Your belief that made you well. Yes. And so that leads me to believe that, like you said, yes, of course God wants to heal us. Of course it's his will to heal us. Yeah. However, his decision to to heal us this side of heaven and when and all of the things and how is because of his own glory and his own goodness. Yeah. And it's so hard to tell someone that I'm sure Val last week, like talking about cancer, right? Breast cancer. Yeah. I can't only imagine how to tell somebody that, you know, to their face as they're, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there's such a purpose. There's such a purpose in the pain, but there's such a purpose in the pain. And if you truly believe in God's goodness and, and being, I don't want to say use, but, be, but being, uh, choosing to partner with him yeah. for those purposes, it's, it really is all about your perspective on it. It's all yeah. about like, do I really believe God accomplishes his purposes or do I believe that it's greater that I just get healed right now? Right. Because this is not a singular event. Yeah. We think like, we just want this one thing to happen. And it's like, but we don't know that that thing relates to all these other things that the Lord is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just, uh, well, it, that leads me to think too, and this is something I've been processing in my own healing journey with the Lord, you know, from you see, is when we say, and when scripture says it is your faith that healed you, I'm going to ask you this question. Tell me what you think. I'm scared. Do you believe it's your faith, the faith of believing 
that you can see yourself healed? Is it like, I see myself healed so much that I have so much faith, like I can see it. It's going to happen. I believe that I'm going to be healed. Or is it your faith in me and who I am and your right right view of my identity and knowing me and believing in me for who I am, not for what I give. Right. But Not seeing for me for, for who me. I am. Yeah, exactly. If you can see me for who I am. That's exactly right. That's the faith that yeah. heals you. Yeah. Because it's not, I've wrestled many times. I think it's faith in the healing. Yeah. And I used to. Yeah. And then I'm like, but then, so I'm having faith in his gift. That doesn't make any sense. That feels really so weird. This is good. This is so good. It absolutely is, is the latter because that's kind of what I was just like putting words to is, I believe that God is sovereign and that he knows all of these things that are connected and he knows what his plan is. And I am just a little piece of it. Right. And so I have to believe I have to choose to have faith in him and not just his ability to heal me and not just his ability and what he can give me, like you said, but that he is good and that this is a part of something greater. And I have to just choose and, ha- and joyfully choose, let's let's try, yeah. to uh, receive it as that, as that mm. I am a piece of this, and what an honor that I get to be a part of this, a, a part of this right. plan. As painful as it is, and as much as we, we're promised the suffering, it looks different in so many different ways, but right. understanding that it's not just, if I believe hard enough, then it'll, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, we have, we ha- that, that's choosing, right. to this brave choice to believe that, if I step and make this next step, I'm not going to fall because you have, you're going to make a way and I have no idea how. Wow. That's right. That's so good. Knowing who God is, knowing that he doesn't just want to use us. He wants us to just be his kids. Just, just, just rest in his hand of just being, I'm a child of God and that's enough. I don't need another definition. I don't need to identify as anything else. I am a child of God. Beginning of sentence, yeah. end of sentence, period. That's it. That's who I am. And he is, he is God. He is my God, period. That's all I need to know about me. Yeah. That's all I need to know about him. And I live out of that. Now, hurt. How do we walk out tangibly this idea of moving on? How do we move forward? Because we out for you, you left a church. You also moved states. Yeah. So there's that. So you're yeah. definitely in a new church and trying to start over and move on from that. I'm in a place of, um, I'll just give you where we're at. Um, we did, like I said, past two years. And funny enough, God would have it that there was a week where we were out and our kids were like, we want to go see our friends back at our old church. And we're like, I mean, okay, we didn't have anything else to do. We were going to a place, but um, we didn't make it in time. And it was about to start. And we were super close. So we're like, you know, my husband's like, I'll drive the baby. The baby was sleeping. The car is like, I'll drive him around the parking lot. You take the kids in. I'm like, okay. I'm like, not excited. Cause I'm like, Relative. last time I left, not great. Yeah. While I've been gone, been hearing stuff, not my favorite. Um, not, not things, yeah. not horrible, but not my choice. Not things that I yeah. think are healthy. Not things that I think are necessarily the way that I would interpret scripture to direct us to do things. That's just, I don't know the ins and outs to the depth, depth, depth. I'm not on staff. Yeah. Um, God would have it. We went in there. 
And as I was walking into the sanctuary area, I was by myself and I could feel my body start tensing. And I was like, what? And mind you, I had been working through this idea of church hurt, um, finding for having compassion, loving others beyond their flaws, trying to love people that didn't make me feel good, trying to love a place that didn't currently feel good to me. Um, and I'd work through that. And I thought, as I walk in, I can feel my body physically start tensing up. And I'm like, what the, what is this? And I heard the Lord as I walk in say, I know you're uncomfortable, but I need you to lay it down right now. And I just want to, I want you to encounter me. I want to encounter you. I want to have a moment with you. Just know you walk in here. I'm going to meet you here. And I'm like, okay. He's not bound by anything. Of course he can meet me. That Like, yeah, why do we put parameters about where he can meet us sure. and in what situation and in what environment and around certain people? He's so other. So I walk in, worship starts. Literally by song two, I feel like the manifest presence of the Lord on like on me, just fall on me. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I First of all, I did not expect that. Second of all, that hasn't happened in this place to me in so long. And I'm like, yeah. Lord, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm just in it. And <laughs> guys, I hear the Lord say loud and clear. And I know it was from the Lord because this was not my idea. <laughs> the Lord said, this is where you're going to be for a season. Really thankful he said a season at the time because I was like, <laughs> I don't understand this. I don't know why. I didn't have any logic or reasoning to back that up. It was just a direction from the Lord. I'm like, that's weird. So I, I actually tried to brush it off. I was like, maybe I didn't hear him right. Y'all, that word was confirmed via the verbatim same sentence two more times before I left that very parking lot. That is insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yeah. The same exact word. So lo and behold, that is where our family's at right now. <laughs> we are in an obedience mode. And you know what? Every week that we go back, I pray before I walk in there, Lord, I want you to cultivate, no play on words here, <laughs> as I just learned that word this year, since the Lord gave me that word for this podcast, um, I need you to cultivate a compassion and a love inside of me that goes beyond my understanding. I need you to do that yeah. because I need to see these people the way you see them because I know their intention is not to hurt. Their intention is not to harm. Their intention is not to do anything but love people and and lead them to you. That's their heart. And I know that because yeah. there's a familiar spirit you know, when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you get this like other person that has that Holy Spirit. There's this like, especially when your discernment's like your number one top like spiritual gift. That is something that's really tangible. You like feel that. And I feel that when I'm there. It's not the people. It's certain choices that broken people make. Yeah. Because hurt people hurt people. Right. Because unhealthy people are act out unhealthily towards other people. And that's just life. Yeah. And if I run away from those situations, I will never be in relationship with anyone ever. Yeah, it's so true. At least close relationship. Yeah. I will move from person to person to person to person. 
And all the while, I will not realize that I also hurt other people. Yeah. And that I also have fault in this world. So the, the fact that you're back at that church right now, like she's at the church that hurt her. Right. Like, yeah. And that's not the case for everyone. And yes. I'm not recommending that for everyone. Right, right. That was a directive from the, that was not even the plan. That was a directive that I got from the Holy Spirit. And I'm walking that out in obedience. My husband and I are because we both got that word as well as a couple other people, um, <laughs> which is her and whatever the Lord wants to do there. Yes. But I feel like that's such a testament to how important it is to be walking with the Holy Spirit, which I feel like is the first thing I would say back to your question for whatever you're, whatever you're going to do, you need to, you need to be talking to God. Just talk to God about it. Yes. Talk to him about it. Like what I, what, what we different, it's totally different situation. There's so many different nuances, reasons like God knows every, he knows better than you do all the aspects of your situation. Right. So yeah, for us, we were already wanting to move, get closer up North. We went and, we were not going to work in ministry for a season. And then <laughs> we moved to Turtle Town, Tennessee, which is in the middle of nowhere. And I only ever saw one turtle. So I don't know what the deal <laughs> is there. But um, anyway, we we moved there and we were flipping a house. George, my husband, gets a call from a local pastor because there's like we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no there's no pastors out there. Right. And he's like, come help me. And George is like, no, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm taking a break for ministry. This is not what's supposed to happen. Sure. Of course, after several conversations, we went ahead and worked for this church for a while. Uh, all it's all good. There's not a, like a whole lot of church hurt. There is just sure. kind of, then we finally, after years, George agreed to move to Cincinnati, Ohio. And we're back. <laughs> we're back in my, my Welcome. hometown. And, um, uh, now we're just part of a church, not on staff in that capacity or anything right. yet. Um, <laughs> but, um, it was never going to be an option for us to not be a part of a church family. Sure. And I really like the, like, yes, the word church is in the Bible. And so, it, but I say that because it is like, we have to honestly define things nowadays because we, do. we don't know what, what each other means like earlier. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that was never going to be an option for us because I, I remember, I remember being at our church in Florida and people saying to me like, yeah, we're, we're here because, you know, we had a really bad experience at our last church and such. And again, it goes back to what is the Holy spirit, what you're supposed to do? What do you feel like he's telling you to do? Because for you, you're in, you're back at that church for a season yeah. for whatever reason. I mean, we're moving on for whatever reason. And so we cannot be closed-minded about what God's asking us to do yeah. for this next this next step, and that's why I feel like it has to begin with that conversation with Him, because a lot of times, a lot of times, what you're supposed to do is revisit that place of hurt, not necessarily physically, but you have to revisit that that trauma, that experience, that whatever, in order to walk through that that healing. Yeah, and so that's gonna look different for everybody, but. Um, yeah, for us, we we had to go for sure. Sure. From our from our church, and there's other reasons like outside of just the church why we why we had to move all together. But right. for the most part, it was like we were good. We the only reason that we were there was because of that church. And so, anyway, it was just yeah. You know. And that's okay. Yeah. There there is 
There is yeah. a time for that. And that's, again, between you and God. And I say that to everybody listening is the church is between you and God. Yeah. And you and your pastor, you know, scripture does say, was it Matthew 18, that when there's an offense, you need to go to the offender. Right. And that's the way, that's a healthy way to go about it yeah. and try to give them an opportunity to respond in peace and to reconcile. Yeah, absolutely. And if, but if they don't, if they double down or they're not willing to see your side or, you know, that doesn't work, you have permission to walk away, but you walked away in honor. Yeah. You gave them honor. You came and you held on to your integrity and you did the steps in order to try to do it amicably and keep the peace. Yeah. That's the goal is we keep the peace, you know? And I think there's a, there's a time to disturb the peace. I do. And not in a way that's destructive, in a way that's like physical abuse. Call it out. Disturb the peace. Yes, call the That's out. unacceptable. Yeah, we protect our people. Yeah. God wants his children right. protected right. from predators and from people who take advantage of his kids. Yeah. That's not okay. Definitely speak up. But um, how do we have and cultivate this hope now in walking through that and we're trying to heal how what's the hope and I guess this forward moving expectation and this courageous hope towards you know still believe still functioning in a healthy family church environment I want to say like from the staff perspective if you do choose to leave the church it is great to tell, to tell somebody why like yeah. your, your pastors are, they, they notice after it may be a while because depending on how big your church is, but they will notice and they'll be like, whatever happened to so-and-so. And so it would be of staffing is like, what, what, what's going on? What, what do the people think? What's right. going on with right. the flock? You know? So that is, I think that's always a good practice. If well, you and can. I think Matthew 18 was written for the very fact of, I think it says in there, if I'm mistaken, correct me, but I'm pretty sure it says in there that the reason that is there is so it gives the other person, the offender, the opportunity to repent because if you never tell them, then you don't, you're not giving them the opportunity to repent. They're in ignorance. They're living out of ignorance. And if you give them the opportunity to repent, then God has the opportunity to come inside and work in that situation and do something miraculous. But if you don't ever confront or tell them you know, they're living in ignorance and you're yeah. sitting over there getting angry yeah. at somebody who doesn't know what happened. Right. Absolutely. So. And it's a like, it's such a great opportunity, like you said, for repentance and then for them to correct. Like mm-hmm. there were things when George left that one of the pastors, she was like, I want to know what happened. How did we, how did we lose someone like George? That's, yeah. and I was like, such a great attitude to have. Right. Yeah. So besides that, um, hope and moving forward, I think that, um, in that, in this whole process, because he works in the freaking coolest ways, there's so much hope in how he works in and through people, how, how we watch other walk it out. Um, so when you do really pursue another family of believers, it's like you, you have no idea the people that God would love for you to come into contact with, to walk alongside you in whatever that freedom journey looks like. And honestly, his people give you hope. His people show you why, why we should hope again, you know, why we shouldn't give up on the body of believers. And you don't always get to experience that unless you put yourself out there. It's like people who say, I'm going to be single forever. 
because then I can't get hurt. And it's like, well, then you won't, unless you, unless you're called to singleness, like totally yeah. fine. But if you're choosing singleness to avoid hurt, then you're choosing to not live a fulfilled life. You're not yeah. choosing God's best for you. And God's best for you is to be in a family of believers. And so there, there is I hope of plugging into a family of like, I yeah. can't even believe how quickly I have found people. I had a good group of friends at our, at our last church yeah. at our little blip in turtle town. And I remember telling them like, I really, I really people like I need people. I need yes. my people. You know what I mean? We always I'm say like, you. I need my people. Yes. And it's so much harder when you get older to, and you have kids to make friends and to mm-hmm. make like friends that you actually connect with on all the levels and you can talk about stuff too. And yeah. I will just say I'm living hope that you can totally do that. And God, ha- God has those people. Just, yeah. just don't give up. Yeah. Amen. So much of life is just don't give up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And I think there's two, when we redefine what it is we're angry about, what it is that we're hurt by or who it is we're hurt by. Yeah. So many times go back to this, we associate God with the church hurt through the lens of God hurt me instead of these people hurt me or this brokenness hurt me. If we just looked at the church, the, I mean, I'm going to have to say big C church, like the church as in every person who says, I follow, I choose to follow Jesus. That's the church. Right. Every child of God who says, I receive him as my Lord and savior. I believe he died and rose again and did the whole thing. Those are the people that are God's bride, his church, the ones he's in a wedding to, he wants to be married to, he's in covenant with. If we looked at it as that, as like the church is made up of a bunch of people just like you and me that realize that they were born into sin, that they were open targets for the enemy, that it was a field day for him, that all he wants is to destroy them, and that Jesus came to save them to free them from the brokenness that they were born into so they can be who he intended them to be, children of God, and they're going to spend their life trying to get to know him, obey him, connect with him, and love other people as a result of the way he loves them. If we saw it as simply as that, then I think we have a view of what church is yeah. and who who is the church. Because if we just saw, I think we t- the church as an institution, because it, I mean, in a way, which is why I think deconstruction isn't all bad, like a healthy deconstruction. I agree. There's a healthy way to deconstruct, which is like, yes, there are systems and archaical um, have been created that are not the original church looked like, that are not anything that Jesus preached about and said, this is exactly how it's going to look. Right. We've created that. That's cultural. It's societal. It's traditional and it's, it's a system and it's very corporate. Like it's, we build it like our culture. Our culture is a corporate system. We build it like what our culture looks like. So it's a reflection of us, not a reflection of God. And we start today. If we just strip that down in a healthy deconstruction way, that's what it should be. Then we can reconstruct our faith around what it's supposed to be. The point, which is us who was created by God, established in goodness, broken by this world that sin came into because freaking Satan decided to revolt and God threw him down to the earth and said, well, 
here's your home now. Go have a heyday and I'm going to fix everything. You know, saves us from all of that, removes our brokenness, says you have no shame. You are no longer a slave to sin. When when I look at you, see is the finished work of the cross. There's no shame, no sickness, no iniquity, no sin about you anymore. You're no longer a slave to that. That's no longer a part of your nature. You are free and you're you're free to be loved by me and just be who you are and sit in my presence and get to know me. And eternity is here now on earth as it is in heaven. If we just saw it as that, <laughs> y'all, we could love each other so much better because I feel like we look at the church and we see this place sucks. Right. This place hurts people. This place makes bad choice. These people in these positions make bad choices. Therefore, I don't like the church. Well, guess what? That's not the church. Your definition's wrong. Yeah, I think it's wrong expectations. It's having these expectations of people that yeah. that only God can fulfill. Yes. Like you expect us to be God. We are not God. No. And so that's it that and that's the other thing is I do go into this this new church life family as with different ex- better mm-hmm. expectations, with yeah. more realistic and and even though my experiences led to hurt and were, you know, felt like I couldn't walk into another place and I, I never, I honestly never expected them to be perfect. Yeah. Like, like there are certain things that are just inexcusable. Yeah. Hurt, uh, hurt, like, hurt, hurt just hurts. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And there, there's We're a, human. And there's a difference between hurt and harm. I don't yeah. necessarily think it's wrong to, because our words will hurt. You're right. Right. Mm-hmm. But there is, then there, then there's harm. And so it gets a little hairy, but, um, I just, I never expected the church to be perfect, but then sometimes when they're not perfect, it's still like, whoa, this is not just your rocker. Yeah. Yeah. But that should cause us to respond. It, yeah. We can yeah. them and, and see if there's a reconciliation possible. If there is an opportunity there for repentance yeah. and forgiveness, if there is great, if there's not, then I got work to do on my end because yeah. if I'm sitting there hurt, I don't want to carry that around. Right. I don't want it to turn into bitterness because then that becomes that becomes a crutch for me yeah. that I have to lean on for the rest of my life. And I can't let go of that unless I work through it. And, you know, about how we should view, you know, how I see like the church now and how I view God and how guys, my perspective has shifted so much in the past two and a half years. And I can only attest that to the people that I have connected with outside of the, the corporate institution that I was a part of. It's the people actually have led me closer to Jesus. The people that are living it out that are like, right. hey, we're taking a break too. Hey, we're about Jesus. We're just breaking it down. And we're saying, I I want to figure what really means. And why do I hurt? Why does this hurt so bad? Is it yeah. me? Is it them? Is it both? Did I have my definition wrong? Did I put too much emphasis over here? Was I paying attention to something that is on something that isn't one of the imperatives? Right. You know, things like that. I've had to step back. I've done the work. I'm still doing the work, guys. I've only been at my previous church for like four weeks. (laughs) We've been (laughs) back for four weeks. So this is something God's still working in and through me. And I believe that he's going to bring me to a place of health and healing and not to say that I'm not going to get hurt at church again. Probably Absolutely. will. I think Absolutely. I think 
percentage of that possibility happening is probably about 100. So, you know, (laughs) and I think the percentage of me possibly hurting somebody else is probably 100. Do I want that to happen? Oh, dear God, no. To know that I would hurt somebody else or cause hurt in their life. I don't think anybody, unless you're like a psychopath, (laughs) like demonic possessed psychopath, actually thinks like, yeah, I really want to hurt somebody else and I don't care that I hurt somebody else. No, no. Especially say you know the Lord, you read your Bible. Hopefully not. I would assume not unless you're a bit of a psychopath. (laughs) Truly. Like nobody just wakes up and thinks that. So if we, I think the key, a little bit more compassion and love. I think we'd recognize that sometimes we condemn people for things they need love for or compassion for or forgiveness for. Mm. And that stems from pride. You know, we, something that we're like, or somebody who in church as you're unredeemable, we're not, we're being what we say we hate. We're essentially, when we say you're unredeemable, that is saying I, that's hate. When you say I hate you, you're condemning someone. You're saying they're unredeemable. That's hate. So you're essentially spewing hate while desiring love. Mm -hmm. And someone didn't treat you with love. But in turn, you're spewing hate on them and saying they're unlovable and they're unredeemable. So we have to watch what we're doing and we have to look in a mirror way more often than we look through a microscope. Yeah. I think if more people would, like you said, do the work, take the time. Where was I wrong? Where were they wrong? What do I need to actually forgive them for? What am I, what am I making of judging? What am I assuming intent? I'm assuming their intention. Do that work. Take that time. Write it out. Talk it out. And yeah, that's a great place to start to start on on a healing journey and on a forgiveness journey, and then to the next. I agree. I agree. That's really really good, Sydney. Thank you so much for joining us. I absolutely have loved this conversation. I think we could have probably talked for way more hours about this, <laughs> and to be honest, we probably will talk about this afterwards for quite a bit too, because this is something that like. We're so passionate and we've been walking in. This is our current life journey right now. This is our season we're in. So this is probably going to be a double episode, I'm assuming. That was um, just It's kidding. just to work through verbally. And if somebody else benefits from it, praise God. I'm I'm so thankful. Um, do I think I missed test over here for like the right way to do it? No. <laughs> no. I've made so many mistakes along the way. And even my ideologies that I'm sharing right now may be off a little bit. I don't know, but I'm sharing where I'm walking through and I'm sharing vulnerably and honestly. And what you can count on here is honesty. And and we're just going to be open with where we're at. There's so much freedom in that. Wisdom or one Bible verse or a word of encouragement, either any of those you would offer our listeners to somebody who might be in that space right now of church hurt and trying to work through it, or they haven't even started working through it yet. What is one thing that you would give to them definitely just don't stop don't give up on it all definitely don't give up on the lord do not give up on the lord just because think about this too talking about self-awareness i was like i can't rely on on anybody else i can only rely on myself that is so crazy to me because how many times have we woken up from the day before the year before and we're like i can't believe i did that i can't believe i did you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you aren't going to be able to, to, you can't, we can't, we're not made that way. We are literally designed 
to rely on God. So don't give up on this journey of finding, finding your people, finding your biblical community, finding your church family, whatever that looks like. Don't give up on that. That it is, it is a gift. It's not, it's not even, it's not a chore. It's a total gift. And I don't want to see anybody miss out on that. So good. And maybe stepping back from the microscope and getting a more of a macro view of what it really means to be in a community and what church really is and who God really is and who the body of Christ really is and what that's supposed to look like. Because sometimes we just get stuck with our microscope that we can't see things for what they actually are, where it's like, we're just a bunch of kids running around (laughs) in God's house and God's living room in his basement, playing with all his toys, (laughs) trying to get his attention, (laughs) trying to, you know, get fed and, you know, all the things, just like kids, we're messing up. We get, you know, we get things disciplined, worded. We get all those things. We're just kids. We got to see it sometimes a little bit more simply. Um, My final question is who heroes are, who you would choose if there's anybody in this world, past or present, that if you could just take a piece of their hope and walk in those shoes when you're in a place of, you know, was in middle school. Uh, so my dad passed when I was in middle school. I do remember. And that. yeah. And my mom, I feel like every time I talk to people about deep things, I always share things that my mom said, which is such a cool thing to be able to say. Like my mom yeah. said this, my mom went through this. That's a gift. It's such a gift. And she always said when her husband died, she said that was the best and the worst time of her life. Wow. The worst for obvious reasons. Yeah. But the best because that was the closest to God that she had, had ever been. Mm. And that, that always, uh, such a testament to me about where she was at, at that time. Right. Like we talk about church hurt. We talk about hard things that happened to us. Right. She not, she said she was never mad at him. She was never mad at God for her husband dying, wow. taking her husband away when she had what, like a six year old, 11 year old, 13 year old, like wow. such an awful age to lose to lose your dad, but yeah. And to lose your husband when you're, you need help. She is never mad at him. She was, she was so close to him, just leaning on him every day. And she just has wow. the most insane stories of how he worked in that time. Mm-hmm. And I feel lovely. She has, the, she's such a great, like you, know who you are. And I feel like she's given me a lot of that. Like I've gotten that a lot from her. And yeah. I just am so thankful that the Lord gave me her as a mom and as a, mm-hmm. such an example. And so that's definitely my, my faith hero. Oh, that's so beautiful. I have to agree. She's a very infectious person. Yeah. <laughs> she's so infectious. She's awesome. She's just a ball of joy. She is. Um, well, Sydney, again, having this conversation with us. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thanks for bearing with us through all this. I know it's been a bit of a rabbit hole kind of conversation as we work through all these pieces of the puzzle. But again, they're all pieces of the puzzle. This is all stuff that that, play, that plays into our reconciliation and the potential for us to move forward in a way that's healthy in family and not just community, but in family. Because in the end, guys, we're all going to end up in the throne room with Jesus and we're going to be shoulder to shoulder worshiping him. And guess what we're going to be? We're not going to be con- community because there's not going to be another community there. One community worshiping God together. We're family, guys, and we need to start treating each other. It is so painful when the place that you go to to find healing ends up causing hurt. We've all been there. 
And I'm so thankful for Sydney's perspective because pastors and staff members hurt too. We're all just God's kids running around in his living room, trying to have fun without breaking anything. But when we get caught up in the fun, it's almost impossible not to misstep. It's a balance of let he who is without sin cast the first stone and Matthew 18, six, but I'll let you look that one up yourself. Either way, vengeance is the Lord's and peace is our inheritance. You guys, this is the last episode of the Hope in the Midst of series until the new year. But I have a surprise. Beginning Thanksgiving week, Cultivate Hope will be launching a Christmas special series called Hope Has a Name. I will be joined by some very special guests to dig deeper into the names of God from the Old Testament. I hope you join me on Tuesday, November 22nd. But until then, thanks for listening and don't lose hope.